As warrior dads, we got to tackle a lot of things, but tackling low testosterone levels should definitely not be one of them. Uh, we need to keep our testosterone at peak levels, and that is absolutely crucial for all of us. So I'm sure you know all the horrible things associated with low T levels. If you don't, it's definitely not pretty. Uh, it's Google search away. But unfortunately, testosterone levels in men have been consistently decreasing over the last two decades. And it's actually one of the biggest conversations I have to have when working with men, which is why I decided to create the Warrior Dads Testosterone Booster Guide and Checklist. It's a free download. And all you have to do is go to checklist.warriordads.com. Uh, just download it, start, start implementing it, and start to feel the difference. So again, go to checklist.warriordads.com and get your free copy now. Being a dad isn't always easy, but it's the best thing I ever did. I'm constantly improving myself to be the best dad I can be through fitness, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. As fathers, we pass on many things to our children, such as our mindset, our habits, our attitude, and what we've learned along the way. Each of these will shape who our children are and who they will become. The Warrior Dad's mission is to help you become the healthiest version of yourself, to hone your edge, and to live with purpose. My name is Jim Bartomey, and this is the Warrior Dad's Podcast. Hey guys, thanks for tuning back in for another episode of the Warrior Dad's Podcast. Today um, is a really, really, really special episode for me because this man has had a tremendous impact on my life in so many different ways. He's been an absolute great teacher, mentor, um, and getting to train with him, you know, in person for five days was truly life-changing. And he helped me on this tremendous journey that I'm on right now um, and continue to stay on. And so uh, that man is Paul Check. And so I am super, super excited to have him come on the Warrior Dads podcast and truly grateful that uh, the universe was able to align us to um, with the help of his wife, <laughs> Penny. Mm. Um, Paul is a world-renowned expert in the field of corrective and high-performance exercise kinesiology, stress management, and holistic wellness. For over 30 years, Paul's unique integrated approach to treatment and education has changed the lives of many of his clients, his students, and their clients. By treating the body as a whole system, and finding the root cause of a problem, Paul has been successful where traditional approaches have consistently failed. Paul is the founder of CHECK, which stands for Corrective Holistic Exercise Kinesiology Institute, based in California, and the PPS Success Mastery Program. He is a prolific author of books, articles, and blog posts, and now has his very own podcast called Living 4D with Paul CHECK, which I highly, highly recommend you listen to. So please help me welcome Paul Check. So, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. So, for anyone that doesn't know uh who you are that might be listening, just kind of uh give us a just a quick brief um history of you and kind of what led you to where you are today and then we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of the conversation. Well, it, my career really began from the beginning. My my mother was a practicing yogi for about 25 years or so. And as a child, I was introduced to the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda through his organization, the Self-Realization Fellowship. So I began uh, practicing meditation and working with monks when I was 12. And then when I was 15, I spent the summer with 
monks at the, their headquarters in Los Angeles and got to learn a lot more. And I was always a competitive athlete, um, you know, all the way through the military. And then um, when I got into the military, I fought on the Army boxing team and I represented the United States Army in triathlon. So I, I basically was a special duty soldier who whose function was to represent the United States Army in various athletic competitions. And boxing was one of their big uh, recruiting systems that they used to get soldiers in the military and we're often on television and things like that at major tournaments but then uh long story made short i was going to leave the boxing team to train full-time for triathlon but the uh boxing team coaches asked me to stay and become the trainer because they thought that the way i trained and and ate and managed myself was very unique and very effective and they could never figure out how i could train full-time for triathlon, in other words, be a competitive triathlete and represent the military and fight on the army boxing team and, and do their training, which was often six hours a day. So they, they knew that whatever I was doing, it was working. Mm -hmm. And so then I was given charge of, of the management of the fighters, writing their conditioning programs, their nutritional coaching and counseling, um, managing the gym. And I, uh, also did massage therapy for the fighters. And I spent two years working with the osteopathic physician that was the team doctor learning to care for uh, sports injuries. And the army uh, boxing gym was, was a kind of a epicenter for army athletes of all types. So I got to work with all sorts of people from power lifters to track and field athletes and all the different athletes in the military. And, and I was stationed at Fort Bragg because I was in the 82nd Airborne Division. And that's the second biggest post in the military with 80,000 80, soldiers. So it's like being in a small city. And then when I left there, I went to sports massage therapy school in Encinitas, California, just down the road from where I'm at right now. And then I uh, progressively challenged and, and met the credits for my holistic uh, health practitioner's license for the state of California. And um, then I did a variety of other trainings and traveled around the world seeking out the experts that knew the most on the things that I kept running into on pretty much everything I, you know, needed help with from spinal pathologies and disc injuries to shoulders to necks to Feldenkrais therapy to Alexander approaches to, you know, mental emotional stuff. And, and so really what I've done for you know, a long time is just looked at what the challenges were in the clients I was facing. And I specialized in medical failures and athletes and sports teams and Olympic committees and militaries and all sorts of corporations and movie stars and all sorts of people have come to me because they have challenges that nobody else is able to solve. And so um, I started the Czech Institute in 1995 because by then I'd spent so much time Working in the medical field, I also owned a physical therapy clinic for three years uh, prior to starting the institute. Worked in a physical, the largest physical therapy clinic in San Diego for four years. Worked with a chiropractor for two years prior to that. So I got a very well-rounded view, and I spent 25 years traveling all over the world, lecturing in medical conferences, personal training, strength coaching, massage therapy, um, osteopathy physical therapy schools and conferences and you know really 
had a chance to test the metal of the system I developed by exposing it to all these different professionals and it stood up. Ex- mm-hmm. And um, so essentially the, wh- what I did was I devoted my life to showing people how the different systems of the body integrate and how the physical, the emotional, the mental and the spiritual aspects of ourselves can't really be segregated out without causing problems and how a lot of people's physical problems, be they digestive or musculoskeletal or, uh, you know, things like disease processes, heart conditions, uh, headaches, and all sorts of things actually are often usually symptoms of emotional or mental challenges or, or, or spiritual challenges that aren't being addressed effectively. Yeah. And so that's really, in a nutshell, that, that's what the Czech Institute's all about. And it's, a, as you know, a comprehensive program that takes about seven years to, to do all the training I've outlined. Yeah. No, it's very comprehensive. It's, it's unlike anything that I had ever <clears throat> been exposed to before. And I still put a ton of faith in it and use everything that you've taught me over the years uh, still with my clients. And it's just interesting to, you know, kind of see how people expect, even though in my marketing and in my message on my website and things like that, that people still, um, and even, I don't even use, you know, I don't say, you know, I say, I do, you know, include personal training, but I don't call myself a personal trainer. I say I'm a holistic lifestyle coach or yeah. a holistic health coach. And they say, you know, oh, okay. And some people, because now the health coaches are people that represent product companies and stuff like that they're now they're calling themselves health coaches so that's interesting um but you know people just come in and expect to exercise and then we start talking about things and you're right i mean there's so many things that we talk about from their past that's linked to issues that they're having and when they let go of that or realize that and we start working on that it's uh it's really interesting i'm actually working with a therapist right now and um, she's a therapist herself. And so she was saying to me, she said, you know, it's, I was actually thinking of going to see a therapist and, um, I, I don't think I need to right now. She said, because what you're providing and what were the insights that you're giving me and the questions you're asking me are really helping me to, uh, to come to terms with that kind of stuff. So that was a, that was a very nice compliment. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, uh, I'm sure you know, but you know, as I traveled around the world, I was constantly shocked and amazed that, the, the physical therapists, chiropractors, oste- osteopaths. I mean, if you go to a nutritionist conference, it looks like an obesity conference. <laughs> and every, everywhere I went, I saw that the people that were in charge of caring for other people were worse off than most of their patients because, there's, because they have so much segregated information and they're really a product of the kind of the, the narrow focus of their own system. So until they start getting into holistic work or working with someone like yourself that has the knowledge and the training of how the systems connect together, they often really don't really realize why they're having their own problems. And it's sort of a a symptom of the deficiencies within these um, professions, which really should be integrated. Not to mention the stuff that they're probably teaching in nutrition conferences and, you know, spot, spot. Well, yeah topic <laughs> well you know the, the 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 comment that i just made reflects the 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 lack of validity of yeah. these these kinds of yeah. concepts so i mean we all we got to do is look around the world to yeah. see that just just eat vegetables no meat fat so um all right so i want to i want to start off with talking about um kids devices screen time etc and but you know just to mention you know of course this is 
and not everybody that's come on the show, you know, is a dad, but congratulations on having, uh, your third child. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, you have, uh, Mana who's two, right. Or three. Uh, three, uh, he just turned three in February on February the 22nd. Nice. Okay. And Paul Jr. will be 40 in September. And, uh, uh, I think Angie's due with our, our little girl, which we're going to call Zoe. She'll be, uh, I think July, if I remember oh. right. So I'm, 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 uh, I'm going <laughs> to, oh, right on. Go. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 57 and I'm, I'm still having new ones come so i gotta stay in shape <laughs> um nothing wrong with the testosterone bank oh that's for sure no you know all the equipment works but you know I, that, that's one of the things that based on what we were just talking about you know i still work with all sorts of professional athletes and people and they're always mind-boggled at you know the fact that i can outlift and outperform these guys and even outrun a lot of them and and and, you know, I'm old enough to be their father. Mm-hmm. So physically, you know, my body's still quite good. I mean, I don't push it like I did when I was in my 30s and 40s. But because I, it's just not that important to me to be that strong. But, you know, I can still deadlift 405 for reps, no problems. And I was showing off for some of my students not too long ago and did eight single arm chin ups and I can still comfortably. I, I was at the on it gym lunging two seventy five for the young fellers, and none of them could keep up with me. And so, uh, you know, I, I practice what I preach. And and uh, my point being is, even though I'm, you know, by most people's terms in Western society, quite old to be having young children, I I still am plenty strong and healthy. And and I tell people, you know, they always ask me how how can you be this fit and look so much younger than you are. And so we'll just, it's, I just do what I yeah, teach. Just read my book <laughs> and do what I, yeah. um, so, you know, kids, devices, screen time. Um, you know, I don't know if you, you know what go noodles are because, uh, Mana's probably not in school yet, but you know, in, in school, my son, he's six and a half is going on seven in June and they're watching these programs called go noodles. And some of them are good, but you know, the, the idea of them is to basically get them doing activity, but they're still in front of, in front of a screen. Um, so they're doing them mm-hmm. in school. They're playing video games or watching other people play video games, which drives me nuts on TV, getting their you know own phones, especially like really, really early. And they're yeah. still getting all their activity. So I want to talk about that and what your opinion is on that and how how you would recommend balancing that because it's such a cultural behavior now but first i wanted to actually start off with a quick quote um of a book that i know you're familiar with the training of the human plant by luther burbank Um, oh yes yes i've recommended it to many people yeah and well i I heard you recommend that years and years and years ago and i i I downloaded it a long time ago probably almost (laughs) eight years ago and so but for those of you listening this was written back in 1907 this was an excerpt um, from the book, and it says every child should have mud pies, grasshoppers, water bugs, tadpoles, frogs, mud turtles, ed- elderberries, wild strawberries, acorns, chestnuts, trees to climb, brooks to wade in, water lilies, woodchucks, bats, bees, butterflies, various animals to pet, hayfields, pine cones, rocks to roll, sand snakes, huckleberries, and hornets. Any child who is deprived of these has been deprived of the best part of his education. So I just thought I, I remembered that, and I just thought that would be really 
good to kind of go along with this topic. And I just want to know, what are your thoughts on the danger or the dangers of child watching other people play video games on TV? And I mean, even instead of playing video games themselves, if they want to have it, but like, what are some of these long-term effects and how are you managing that in, in Mana's life? Cause I know he has an iPad, right? Cause well, I heard in one of your other podcasts, with yeah. Waldorf school and you know, they were saying no, no uh, iPads and stuff like that. But I know you guys give him an iPad for certain things, but when he starts getting older and, and what you see in, in some of the younger, but older kids, well, there's a lot of challenges with it. And, um, you know, the Steiner School, they actually send someone to your house to inspect your house and, and your living space because they're, you know, Steiner was very clear on his reasons for, you know, why he doesn't want kids getting too involved in electronic gadgets. They actually don't even want kids watching television at all. Um, and, and we did... Uh, you know, we did tell them that we're not going to completely exclude it because I felt it was important because of the cultural interface and that by the time he was, you know, going to elementary school, that exactly what you're talking about is going to be happening because schools, you know, as you may know, the, the number one reason physical education has been cut out of school programs all over the world is because they say they need to spend the money on computer mm-hmm. systems. So... Uh, there's a lot of problems with it. And even with Mana, we noticed that he was getting quite unruly and, and almost impossible to get to bed. So we all agreed to try cutting back on um, how much screen time he was getting. And he wasn't by any means getting near as much as any of the other kids that, that you know, in the area that he plays with, except the Steiner kids, which are often, you know, down to zero. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did notice that cutting it back and, we, and and these are, you know, all educational things, you know, and, and simple stuff like Thomas, the train, not, not violent, anything. Right. Um, and, and cutting it back helped. And, you know, one of the, the there's many things I will bring up, but one of them is that whenever you watch a television or a screen, it puts you into a hypnotic state. And when you're in a hypnotic state, that's the perfect state for programming the mind. The the ego is basically semi-asleep. And light has an almost infinite capacity to carry information. So even though they got rid of subliminal program, what what they're not talking about is they can pack all sorts of messages like buy this, eat this, um, you know, do this. And, you know, the, the technology that's that's that there's a reason that iPhones and, and, and smartphones are so popular because they're 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 being used to get people to, you know, to spend money they don't have and to 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 buy clothes and to buy cars and to buy toys. And, you know, it's no secret that when McDonald's started getting slowed down in their sales, they went after the kids and they found that they could use the kids to sell the parents and. So the, the first point I'm making is that it, screens bring you into a hypnotic state, and that's a state where you don't have a normal filtration. You can't filter out information. You can't effectively um, – so what happens is kids watch things even though they're not really interested. They're just sitting there like zombies. But the, the real issue that concerns me aside from that is two things. One, research shows that whenever you're watching a television or a screen, you – you can drop into a state that's below basal metabolic rate. And we have huge problems with overweight and obesity amongst children and adults worldwide. So when you, when you, 
realize that these technologies take you down into a hypnotic state and they're slowing your metabolism down to something like a bear hibernating. And then people keep eating because they're being programmed to mm -hmm. eat. And a lot of people now, a lot of kids at school are doing things like math and all sorts of stuff that runs their brain. And the brain is, is a very energy inefficient organ. Research shows the brain uses about 80% of the blood sugar in your bloodstream at any given time. It's cognitively engaged. And most people have had the experience of taking a test and walking out of the test room feeling exhausted and hungry because their brain has just sucked everything out of their blood sugar. So, you know, not only are we bringing kids below basal metabolic rate, but then they're also getting hungry and eating. And so they're getting fat and then, and then they're being sold all sorts of stuff that, that is non-food mm -hmm. through all these systems. And the other thing that really concerned me is there's just a tremendous amount of violence in, in many of these programs. I mean, the number of kids I've seen watching and interacting with violent video games and shoot this and blow this up. And so one of the things that happens is it basically starts programming them at an unconscious level that the world is a violent place. And if you look at the work of people like Joseph Chilton Pierce, he, he actually shows that this can restructure their brain and rewire their brain. And what happens is it enhances all the circuits in the brain that are oriented toward defense and, and toward fight or flight and, and, and you know, survival, combat, and it shuts down the prefrontal cortex and the parts of our brain that are used for novel decision-making and creativity. So you end up getting kids that are, that are very, very uh, oriented to constantly survey the environment for threats. Right. And they don't have conscious awareness that they're doing it, and they become very unruly. And many kids don't make the distinction that these cartoon characters that keep popping up after they've been shot or destroyed uh, are are imaginary and so you end up with young kids going around and not realizing that if you point a gun at somebody it'll kill them and so it's kind of a, a challenge because they spend so much time on screens the average american today watches 4.7 hours of television a day and kids are oftentimes you know way way above mm -hmm. that and so that's a huge amount of their time and it's it's um unhealthy the other thing that it does is it causes kids to be very left brain dominant it shuts down the integration of the brain hemispheres and that shows up in all sorts of motor challenges uh, they they have an inability to coordinate bodily functions and it's quite interesting because <clears throat> when we take mana to the park he is so much more agile and fit and and strong than kids he's the littlest kid in his class even at a steiner school but the teacher is amazed at how strong he is the other day i came home from work and angie said you won't believe what the teacher said today she said mana had two six-year-old kids in a wagon and he was towing them all over the playground even up hills oh, and she said she said it was mind-boggling for her to see a little boy like that pulling such a heavy load and she, she was amazed how strong he is and so you know, we've got two issues here. We've got all the electronics and then we've got all these kids being poisoned by massive amounts of vaccinations. And it's leading to all sorts of disintegrative issues with their motor systems, with their mind. And it shuts down their ability to create. They keep becoming dependent on objects or devices to do the work that the very kids Luther Burbank was talking about should be learning how to do in nature. And 
you know, Steiner, for example, said kids should never be taught math, nor should they be engaged in a lot of reading before the ages of about seven to 10, because it shifts them into left brain dominance. And, they, and the right brain is about wholeness. It's about how things work together. It's about creativity. So what we're doing is we're training people to follow directions and follow orders and not think for themselves and not create for themselves. And this is exactly what large corporations want. Right. They want us to be automatons that buy without thinking, that do things without qu asking questions. And so when you put all these things together, what you get is kids that are lethargic, that can't think for themselves, that need a device for even basic math or knowing what time it is or knowing what direction they're going. They, and they're becoming very, very disconnected from the earth. They're living in the mental sphere, losing touch. So they're looking at trees on screens, but not climbing real trees. Right. You know, as an example, and it, it, when you put all this together, it's a very, very problematic situation and it's showing up. We have the highest rates of disease. We have the highest rates of suicide and the highest rates of obesity and the lowest rates of physical fitness in our children worldwide that we've ever had in the history of human beings. You know, I'm also interested in that, you know, I see kids on how overstimulated they are, how rushed they feel sometimes how anxious they are i've heard people talk about anxiousness in kids more and more lately and yeah. i'm wondering if there's any link to because a lot of parents especially you know i'm 35 right now a lot of parents in my age range <clears throat> plus or minus are you know engaged in cell phones too and so i'm wondering you know just similar to how a mother's stress level can transfer onto a child in the womb is that you know, how rushed we feel as adults and as parents and, you know, trying to do all these different things and look at our phones and check our text messages and our emails. And is that being transferred onto our kids? Because now it's part of their environment and they're seeing us do it too. You know, their parents do it. So I'm just wondering if it's actually happening from the social media devices or social media, the devices itself from the electromagnetic stress and energy. And then also if they're kind of mimicking adult behavior as well and well kids always mirror their parents remember a child's uh mind is wide open for the first seven years it's on total download this is well documented in research it doesn't matter whether the child understands what they're seeing they're being programmed with it and they will emulate mm -hmm. it and that's a fact so they're emulating the way the parents relate to each other. They're emulating the pace that the parents are going. The parents are actually generating the images, the impressions, the thoughts, the feelings, and the emotions, and the relational strategies that are being programmed into the child the same way you program a computer. And they're unconscious. They have no means for filtering because they don't have enough intellect to know a good idea from a bad one. So, you know, one of the things I tell my students is remember when you have children that and you are in a challenging situation with each other as parents you should use the motto that we will handle the situation that we're in exactly how we would like our children to handle it when they grow up because otherwise your children never do grow up and you have to look at yourself for the rest of your life and yeah. There, you know, so these are very, very real issues. The other thing, the 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 speed of of the 
processing on all these computers and systems is getting wickedly high. And I'll give you an example of that. Uh, years ago, and this is this is probably 12 years ago now, so it's, it's gotten much worse since then. You know, computer uh, speed doubles about every mm-hmm. year. And so I was doing some editing, and I had to fire the company that I was working with because they were doing a lousy job. And I was hunting for editors, and I found these two young guys that were like 18 years old, but they had done some really good film work. So I thought I'd give them a try. And I brought them a couple of sample videos to look at. And as they were watching one of them, one of the guys said, did you see that lousy edit there? And I didn't see anything. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They go, you don't see that? And they said, this editor is leaving a bunch of dead space in your videos. And I couldn't even see it. And, and so what happens is that because the kids now are processing more frames per second, they're actually taking more information than people probably even in your age category and, and older. And so they had to slow the film down. And sure enough, there was like two or three frames that were just empty. Wow. And, and their brains could pick that up. They were able to actually see things and pick it up that I could not even see until they slowed the film down very, very slow and went frame by frame. But these guys were picking it up in real time. And sure enough, there's a black hole in the film. And so what I'm pointing out here is that the mind is following the pace of the information coming at them. So kids are actually being sped up, sped up, and sped up. And what's happening is they're packing, you're using high technology to pack in information that comes out so fast, your conscious mind doesn't pick it up, but it's actually being picked up by your unconscious mind. And, you know, the subconscious mind, according to Bruce Lipton, has four million times the processing power of the conscious mind. So they're being able to use these video technologies to pass all sorts of stuff through the ego's filtration system. And so when you look at the speed the technology is going and you look at the speed that adults are acting at and you look at the fact that, um, you know, we're using consumerism as a compensation for our emotional and our spiritual emptiness. So people are becoming void because they're getting so connected from nature and so connected from each other. And when you look at the research on things like Facebook and all these social forums and YouTube, they're finding that kids are actually having much higher rates of depression and isolation, even though they have 150 friends on Facebook because they're not actually interacting with human beings. Mm -hmm. And if you look on these forums, you see young people just talking so rudely and, and just nasty, nasty, nasty stuff that you would never say to someone in face to face because you the repercussions might be more than you want to deal with. (laughs) Yeah. But, but they're spending so much of their time in these, these sort of, empty relationships where there's no need for relationship strategy or relationship skill. And they're paradoxically, they've got this myriad of, 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 uh, shall we say mental friends that are in this digital world, but they're getting lower and lower in their sense of connection and lower and lower in their relational skills and more and more isolated. And mom and dad are, basically so burned out they're babysitting their kids with television and video games because as you probably know parenting is real work i mean mm-hmm. 
I mean, getting a new puppy and potty training it and, and training it not to eat everything and shit all over the place is one thing, but having a human child is a, is a lot more tricky because they can get into things. They climb shelves. They knock things over. They'll grab hot things and sharp things and tools. And so you have to be on a high alert. But what's happening is we're numbing and drugging and distracting the kids because parents on average are so consumed and so burned out, they don't have anything left to parent. And so the product that we're producing is children that really don't have good health and they don't have a connection to nature to each other. Uh, They now have, you know, for about 10 years now, they've had an actual diagnosis called nature deficit. And some psychologists out of New York were the first ones to figure this out. And they took kids with attention deficit disorder and behavioral disorders. And they found that by taking them out into the forest one time a week and letting them just walk around and play in the forest, that it was far more effective than any of the medications or psychological strategies being offered by therapists just to reconnect them to nature. So we're right back to Luther Burbank. That's right, man. Yep. All the mud, mud. Uh, pies and grasshoppers. Well, you know, you, you said something a little while back there and it just kind of made me think of like my own childhood. And, uh, I've always been obsessed with knives and blades and things like that. Even I can remember back in like kindergarten where I used to like draw them and cut them out of paper. And, uh-huh. and so, and I don't disagree with you cause I, I actually wholeheartedly agree with you about the violence of these video games. But you know, then I, I kind of reflect back and I used to watch a lot of old TV shows, you know, the old um, 1958 Zorro with Guy Williams and uh, Lone Ranger yeah. and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and they had, you know, some fighting scenes, but it wasn't gruesome, bloody violence. And, you know, most of it was in black and white still anyway, <clears throat> but you know, we've seen stuff like that. And then you go all the way back to, you know, even warrior times and primitive times where you have like, you know, the Spartans or the Romans and, you know, kids, Uh, I guess, seeing the soldiers and and hearing about battle and things like that. So I feel like we've always had that sense of violence. Um, And of course, if kids saw it in real time, then that's even more real than a a video game. But is there any kind of connection to that, especially, I guess, with boys where, you know, playing with, you know, cops and playing cops and robbers or guns and and good guys and bad guys, the idea of that, is there any primitive, uh, you know, connection to that because of our you know, like kind of like the warrior inside of inside of us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, men are wired that way. I mean, you know, that's one of the reasons we have higher levels of testosterone. I mean, through throughout the history of men, women get pregnant. They're, they're not capable of fighting and defending. We've always had, you know, for the most part, I mean, it depends how far back you go. But, um, you know, if you look at animals if you study the structure of the brain and you can look at paul mclean's research on the triune brain what we call our brain is a collection of three brains and now call the prefrontal cortex the fourth brain but our reptilian brain has three primary drives and drive number one is am i safe which means is my hunting territory safe or are there predators competing for my food And if there is, I have to not only get rid of them, but I have to protect myself and my offspring from them. So all the way back in our development to reptilian era, if you want to kind of follow that line of evolution, and, and that reptilian brain in our nervous system is pretty much identical to what is in reptiles. 
And then you have the mammalian brain, which is where our limbic system is and where we begin to have a relationship with other. A mother alligator, if she gets hungry, will just eat her children because she doesn't have an emotional system. She doesn't have a limbic system. Mm-hmm. But once you start getting to the mammals, then as you evolve up, you see that they will sacrifice themselves. For example, I was raised on a sheep farm, and if a if a ewe more lambs than she can sustain and milk, and I've watched this happen. We we had to raise lambs in our house because sometimes if the the mother had three lambs, she could only feed two of them. So she would take the weakest one and she would walk it way off as far away as she could and just leave it there and let it die or, or let a coyote or, or uh, you know, it depends where you're at, but let it get eaten because she knew it, 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 that keeping it alive was a sacrifice to the ones that she could support. But once you start getting up into the, the neo-mammalian, so into the chimpanzees and animals like that, you see that the, mother, the mothers will starve themselves to death to feed their offspring. They will sacrifice themselves. So what you see is as the brain grows and develops, we start being more concerned about the well-being of our own offspring, but we still have to protect ourselves. So to go to the second drive, it, it, the first, you got to make sure you're safe. Second, you got to eat. So you have to hunt and eat. And third is procreation. And that structure is built into our nervous system because if we're procreating when we should be protecting ourselves, we're dead. If we're procreating when we need to eat, then our offspring won't survive because if there's no food in the environment to, to take care of you, then you, how can you raise offspring? So the point that I'm getting to here is that protecting ourselves is woven into the nervous system because in nature, things eat each other and things eat human beings. And males are the protectors at large. That doesn't mean women didn't fight or do things, but, but women are really more designed for nurturing and raising children and keeping the family together and, and doing the gathering and, and you know, the, the household type things or tent type things like um, cooking and, and uh, tending to children and tending to to crops or, or uh, prior to crops, it would, it would be, um, you know, be out grazing and, and, and uh, look, looking for berries and, and whatever they could find. So mm-hmm. they, they contributed to the food supply that way. But we always had to protect ourselves and, and we were territorial. And an example of that, I'm, you, I don't know if you know, but I build big rock stacks, rock sculptures, I call them. Oh, yeah. I, and, I uh, had a rock rock garden out back of my house. Yeah. So the point I'm getting at is in in front of my house in, in um, Vista, where I where I live, I have these beautiful big rock stacks that I put up. And when they fall down, I build new ones. But people are totally enamored by them. They can't stop looking at them. They come and take pictures. They'll want to talk to me about them. I mean, this happens all the time. But what I'm pointing to is there's a reason. If you study the history of rock formations, you will find that those rock stacks were what we used thousands of years ago to stake out our territory. Whatever was our hunting grounds, when you came across a rock stack, it meant you were now moving into somebody's territory. And it was the warriors that would meet you if you crossed the line. So we have an evolutionary drive deep within our nervous systems to protect and to defend 
But to go back to your TV shows, you were talking about, you know, the, the, the Roy Rogers or the, the, um, the Cowboys and the Indians. If you look at those stories, there's always a theme. And the theme is usually that the good guy wins. Rarely does the bad guy win. And so right. those are stories that were not only kind of recapitulating the, the actual nature of, of human, human beings and that we can war with each other. <clears throat> but they're stories built on psychological themes that are inherent to having good values and to having ethics and morals. But today what's happening is these video games are not at all oriented in general towards ethics and morals and values. And a lot of the shows that kids watch on TV aren't, although there are some very good ones. A lot of them are just total chaos and, and just so much activity that it paralyzes the child. And then they got them right where they want them so they can sell them stuff. So, you know, we're we're in a very different era and the use of media is very different and the psychological drives that once were being activated are now being confused and so it's a it's an environment where parents have to be very very conscious about what they let their kids get exposed to and for how much time they get them exposed to it and then you couple that with a lot of food full of processed sugar additives preservatives colorings um food that's nutritionally void and there's just mountains of research showing that that causes behavioral and cognitive problems in children without considering the electromagnetic pollution or all the things we've been talking about right. and then you look at the fact that they're taking physical education out and you've got kids now i mean i remember i remember a few years ago i saw a report in the news <clears throat> that a, they stopped doing physical education testing in los angeles because it, they they had taken they used to have a one mile run as part of the American standard physical therapy, American standard physical fitness testing. I think it's called the president's physical fitness examination that kids would do every year. And it used to be a one mile run. Then they made it a one mile walk and they had a child in like the third or fourth grade die of a heart attack walking around a track. And wow. so that triggered off a whole avalanche. So we've now got kids being born with arteriosclerosis and, 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 and all the stuff of old people and they're coming out of the womb with it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a great answer. I actually never even put together the, uh, the ethical piece of it, but you're absolutely right. It's just a free for all in some of these games and the video or the, the TV shows that they're watching. It's like, you're absolutely right with the, with the theme. And that was great. I really liked that connection. Um, so, so in all of this, um, and I know we're coming up on time, and again, if you have to get going, I completely understand, but I want to know what you're doing. How are you teaching? You mentioned this before, and this actually just happened to be one of my questions anyway. How are you teaching Mana and, and soon soon to, to have Zoe, Zoe. Come in, which I love the name Zoe. Is it, How are you teaching him and, and her how to think instead of what to think? Because well, the, the, yeah, well, I was just going to say because with so much information, you know, with the with, with the information age that we're in now, <clears throat> you can go online and you know YouTube or blog posts out there or whatever it is, and then it's just you know let's choose YouTube for an example. You know, you go look up on you know some something even related to history, and then all of a sudden there's another video related to that or or you know uh, 
something that you searched a, a week ago and then it's just oh you know a shiny red balloon effect where you're just going from video to video but then there's information overload from all these different things instead of just watching one video gaining your knowledge and then doing a little research like encyclopedias years ago there wouldn't be 15 different articles on the same topic now you have information overload so it's like and then also these people that are putting out the videos too right i mean these these social media uh, icons you know and people looking at these guys and like oh well this is how this is what they're doing this is just what i'm going to do instead of trying to think for themselves so yeah that, i think that's a huge gap in in what we're seeing now today too but it's like so what are some things that we can do to combat that and and teach and instill our kids even though they're going to come in contact with the other with the other children like like mana is now who, that do have more screen time than him but you know, how do we teach them how to think for themselves and do the right things without pushing too much of our own agenda on them? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the toys. One of the things that the Steiner uh, system does is they don't want you giving kids a lot of plastic toys with a lot of bells, whistles and batteries and stuff. They really like you to stick to wooden toys and things that, that are more natural and um aren't so distracting that require some creative imagination. So like a, a, a bucket and a shovel and a, and a wooden dump truck or a bulldozer or a car. So they go out in the dirt and they play and they, they engage in, you know, the elements. And, you know, when it comes to thinking, it's really, once again, the, the children will, will model the parents thinking model you know, I grew up on a farm, so, you know, you, you had to think, you had to learn how to run a saw. You learned that you don't want to get poked by a pitchfork. It'll be bad news, and barbed wire is sharp. But kids today are really kind of like rats living in cages that hardly ever engage in anything real. So, you know, the way that you teach kids to think is you, you get them involved in things, and that's one of the beautiful things about the Steiner School is that they don't teach them a lot of reading and they wait till the kids are at least seven years old. But what they do is they have them making costumes. And instead of teaching them things by reading out of books, they have designed plays to teach all the key educational components that they want learned in these earlier years. And they actually take roles and somebody plays King Arthur and they use concepts that have ethical and, and moral principles and virtues built into the scripts of the plays. And so the kid carves his own sword and makes his own shield out of cardboard. And um, the, the school teachers and the parents work with them. They actually come and help and they will make the costumes. So the child's actually sewing and they're using glue and they're using scissors and they're cutting things and they're working with wood and they have gardens at the schools. So that what, what that means and as another way of answering your question is that the parent really needs to engage the child in things like helping them do things from washing the dishes or cleaning their bedroom or um, feeding an animal and, and, and watering plants and showing them, look, if you don't water this plant, it will die mm -hmm. and it won't recover. If you don't feed your dog, it will starve. And if you don't, um, cut the grass with daddy then then pretty soon our house looks like it's in a jungle and, and it you know so the same things that they're going to have to be thinking about when they're older we show them how to get involved but 
not as as something that you know comes with a lot of harsh punishment just just something as as an activity of play and engagement because kids love to do whatever we're doing i know mana absolutely loves i mean the kid loves to work you know he thinks lawnmowers are the coolest thing so we got him a, a little plastic lawnmower that he pushes around and it's it's got little balls in it and it pops and sounds like an engine he would push that thing for hours i mean literally i'd just go out in the yard and do a meditation and just be with him and he would pretend he was cutting the grass and he you you know you try to take that lawnmower away from him he's like no i'm still mowing the grass <laughs> and and so i take him out and i build rock stacks with him and and you know the gophers dig up and put a bunch of water uh, dirt in my water charger so we get shovels out and we clean it out and he loves the shovel and so we ask questions and we use the wheelbarrow and i take him for wheelbarrow rides and we we ride scooters together and I play hide and go seek with them. And we run through the bushes and we, you know, we really do things. I take them to the park and I climb with them and I chase them down the slides. Mm -hmm. and, and so, you know, what happened, what I'm saying is I engage my, my child in the very types of exercise and activities that are sort of the rudimentary things that we all have to take care of unless we're just, you know, so rich that we pay everybody else to do it and in such a mechanized world that nothing's getting done. But the reality of it is these are the things that, that teach children how life works. Instead of just doing things, you say to a child, okay, what happens if I don't tie your shoe for you? Well, eventually the kid learns the shoe falls off. So, what I'm saying is every chance that you get, you know, kids love to ask questions and, you know, like you turn a blender on and all of a sudden they see things flying around in there. And, you know, Mon will say something like, why daddy, why is that happening? Cause there's a blade in there and it spins. And when it spins, it makes things go in a circle and it chops them up and it creates a vortex. You flush the toilet, daddy, why does the water do that? And so then you have a chance. You say, guess what? If you go to Australia on the other side of the earth, well, the water spins backwards and here's why. And so you see, they, they don't get that kind of interaction on video. And when you're watching a video, a lawnmower is not even a real thing. Somebody else is using right. it. In other words, we need to get away from reality TV and ground kids in the reality of what it means to be alive and where our food comes from and what it means when it rains or what it means if it doesn't rain. That's easy to teach in Southern California. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, um, what, what is fire? You know, what is earth? What can you make out of earth? And that's where the mud pies come in. And, you know, Mana loves to go to the beach and build sandcastles and Kids need to get dirty, and if they don't get dirty, they don't build healthy immune systems. And we've got this problem with people being so overly clean and, and constantly antibacterial soaps. And we've created a, an environment for children that is so radically outside of what we are. And what we are is an expression of nature itself, mm. you know, and... It's interesting. There's a book called The Human Zoo by Desmond Morris. And what he did was he he looked at all the research on animals and what happens to them when they're put into captivity, what kind of health problems they have, what kind of behavioral problems emerge. And he showed 
that exactly what you find in animals in captivity mirrors perfectly what you find in people living in cities. And so if we take kids and put them into captivity, they have the same problems that adults in captivity do. And it isn't good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So the, the, the point I will finish with is a lot of people listening to this go, well, I don't have access to a farm. I don't have access to, to, to dirt. I don't have, I don't even have a yard. I live in an apartment. Well, good. Go to a park, yeah. get your kids in a car and drive them out for, uh, you know, find a farm or, you know, look into things where the kids can go get involved in things, take them on hikes, make being with the children in environments that are natural, important, more important than what the next edition of Street Fighter is. Right. Yeah, my Jimmy and I, uh, we used to take sticks and rocks and play tic-tac-toe outside when he was like three and four and even five years old. We would just, instead of, you know, getting a piece of paper and drawing some lines on it, we'd have, you know, sticks and make a tic-tac-toe board and use different colored rocks. And, you know, those are the X's and those are the O's. And, you know, we'd make like guitars and stuff like that out of willow vines and bendable branches and stuff. So, I mean, yeah, it's just, I, I agree. And that's... I really like there's another I don't want to just before you shift there's something else that came to my mind listening to you say that you know I work with a tremendous amount of the best athletes in the world and professional sports mm -hmm. teams and when you start going into professional sports organizations and talking to basketball players and baseball players and football players a lot of the greatest athletes that we have came from what we would consider to be underprivileged homes and so what were they playing baseball with? A stick off of a tree. What were they playing basketball with? Some old beat up piece of garbage basketball that most of us would throw away and hoops with no nets on them. And so when you, when you realize that kids that grow up in this environment have to develop better motor skills because the environment demands it. I remember when Penny and I once took a vacation in Fiji the kids were playing soccer all the time and they were playing on a dirt field with rocks and things, nothing like most of the kids would get today. And so we often think that we're helping kids by, by giving them all these fancy dancy things, but we don't realize it actually retards not only their motor skills, but they don't have to be creative. If you leave kids to their own devices, you'll see they'll make imaginary things. They'll make, imagine they'll make toys out of things they'll figure out how to use a piece of wood for a baseball bat instead of a baseball but if but we we've really taken the nature out of nature and it's coming at a very big cost yeah, i agree and we've taken the, we've taken the parenting out of parenting too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they drug the hell out of kids i mean you got so many drugs being prescribed to kids. It's mind boggling. And, you know, parents for every little ailment, they rush them off to the doctor. And the next thing you know, they've got four or five drugs. They've got a runny nose and they got this and they got flu shots and they got this shot and that shot. And when you look at the toxic load on the child and the fact that these kids need to get sick now, and then that's how the immune system works. The kid has to be exposed to what's in the environment so that the body can build antibodies against it. And parents don't have the time or they're too insecure or they don't realize that a child 
having a cold, a flu, or the measles is a normal part of growth and development. And you, you look at the research and you find, lo and behold, the people that have the best immune systems, it correlates to were they raised on farms? If they were, they're better off. The more brothers or sisters you had, usually the stronger your immune system. And the more pets the kid had as a child, the stronger their immune system. Why? Because all of those are sources of exposure. That's interesting. So what we do now is we polish them up, we protect them from everything, and we drug the hell out of them if their <laughs> nose itches. You're right. Absolutely right. Well, I remember you were saying a while ago, and maybe this fact still holds true for yourself, is that you haven't had – well, maybe – you said you you said you hadn't missed a day of work in X amount of years because from being sick or something like that. So thirty five years. So does that mean you haven't had a cold in thirty five years or just? No, I I I get it. I've gotten colds and I've gotten you know mana as a kid goes to school picks up all sorts of stuff. The difference is is that with Tai Chi and essential oils and you know natural remedies and things like oregano oil. Yep and garlic and ginger and, and, you know, just good old fashioned home remedies. It never knocks me down to the point where I can't be productive. It might make me just go train lighter or do Tai Chi instead of lifting weights or meditate in a rock garden or out, uh, outside. But, uh, you know, I've never put been put down to where I couldn't go to work and be functional you know, I traveled the world for over 20 years, nonstop, flying in germ tubes everywhere. And I worked in orthopedic rehabilitation for many, many years, surrounded by sick, broken people all day. And never did I ever have a problem. Nothing's ever stopped me from being productive. Yeah, that's good. Well, I, I'm actually fighting a little nasal cold right now but uh, you know taking oregano p73 you put me on the thieves years ago i put some put some yeah. thieves in some water and breathed in the steam today about three or four times and had some homemade beef stew with some good old-fashioned homemade bone broth for dinner before we got on the call so yeah 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 and, and although and, i did you know, have the flu the uh, about a month ago and i don't know and well, that, that, that like, happens... put me on my ass for a week and i lost 15 well, pounds <laughs> Well, that's that it can, um, but you know, if you hung out with me more, I'd dial you in. But this, <laughs> the thing is, uh, you know, there's so many bugs now. And, and if you listen to my interview with Sherry Tenpenny, where we go through the real truth of vaccination and the history of it, um, you know, you'll find out that there are biotech companies that are actually manufacturing all sorts of new viruses and bugs and releasing them into the public. So that then it creates a so-called epidemic and then they can sell all their shots and make billions and billions of dollars. And this is actually going on. And she said right on there that, yes, this is factual and it's true. It's not just conspiracy theory. And the point I'm leading to is now it's you see a person like you or I could get the flu thinking it's the flu, but not realize it's some engineered bug that we have no defenses against and just the same way a child has to get sick in order for its immune system to build a defense. We today, it's hard to get to stay free of these things because we're dealing with stuff that is engineered. So we've, we've never really, uh, you know, I haven't missed work because I was raised on a farm and ate well and lived well and breathed well and moved well and got covered in dirt and cow shit and chicken shit and all sorts of stuff. 
but what you know, what do you do when you come into you know really what is biological warfare being used for profitability, and we don't know what this is unless you're going to you know sample everything with a swab that you have to fight off and take it to an exotic laboratory to figure out what it was and see if you can track mm-hmm. it, uh, which you know would be thousands of dollars and a lot of time. We're 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 in a very very interesting environment, and the other paradoxical thing is. I've done a lot of research into this and talked to many nurses and doctors. And the truth is kids are showing up in the hospitals 24 seven with all the very illnesses they were vaccinated for. Even the vaccines don't work. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've never gotten the flu shot, but it's interesting what you just said about the biological warfare and, you know, your interview with Sherry. Because <clears throat> um, I finally went to urgent care because my wife said I, I had a fever for six days straight. It kept breaking two or three times because, uh, you know, I was, doing a lot of stuff and sleeping and getting some rest and breaking the fever two or three times. And at one point it got to like one Oh four. And so she said, well, you had a fever for six days straight. And, you know, of course your metabolism super elevated. I was dehydrated because I, because I couldn't even drink enough water fast enough. Um, Yeah. And so anyway, we went to the, the urgent care and he said that it probably was the flu, but he said he thinks it turned into a bacterial infection. So of course they put me on antibiotics, which I have never, I don't think I've been on since I was, you know, probably like, I don't know, 10 or something like that. And because I've never had anything like that. I've never gotten the flu. And I can't remember the last time I even had a fever. So put on, put me on antibiotics. And that night the fever went away and never came back. And, you know, unfortunately I had to stay on them the full 10 days, but, uh, you know, started repopulating with, you know, just a good probiotic and a prebiotic and some kombucha and all that, all that good stuff. But I'm wondering if it wasn't even the flu, like you were saying, because I wonder if it it was always a bacterial infection. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt if it wasn't. In fact, um, I don't know, maybe two, two months ago or three months ago now, um, Angie got leveled, Penny got leveled, Mana got leveled and I'm sleeping with all of them. So it wasn't long before I was fighting this damn thing off. And that was the closest I've come in my whole life to having to take a day off of work. It, it was very much like you're talking about. It was just damn right, downright nasty. And, um, and lo and behold, I happened to be doing some research on the internet and I came across research. I think it was on Mike Adams website, all natural news. And it talked about a super bug that had been engineered and released into the public. And the symptoms were exactly what I was dealing with and what we were all dealing wow. with. So, you know, there's a lot of very nasty games being played for money. I mean, the whole world, has gotten oriented towards money. Everything's all about making money at these higher level corporations. And people are really forgetting how to live and, and, and you know, connecting to the earth and simple things like breathing and running and playing. And, and there's so much pressure on kids to constantly achieve good grades and get some kind of an outcome. That's not healthy for kids. Kids need to learn how to play or they forget how to play and when you forget how to play, you forget how to live. And, and so I see I'm, I'm traveling through airports and I see little kids, six, seven, eight years old, towing um, trolleys behind them, wearing Coke bottle glasses with a computer strapped over their shoulder. They look, they look like miniaturized executives and they're so intense with their studies and there's a lot of pressure on them and there's tremendous academic pressure on them. In fact, the highest rate of teenage suicide uh, last time I checked was in New Zealand. And when researchers looked into what it was, they tracked it to um, scholastic standards. They, because New Zealand uh, elementary and high schools 
have the highest galactic standards anywhere in the world except Japan. And lo and behold, Japan and New Zealand have very, very high rates of teen suicide, which they track right back to all the pressure and peer pressure because kids are now raised that if they don't get certain grades, that they're a nobody, they're, they're, a, they're, a, they're a second class, they're falling behind. Well, you know, look, 50% of people that graduate from universities are not even doing what they were trained in university to do within five years. And now we've got people that, you know, they're, they're super smart on paper, but they don't even know how to live. They don't know the difference between real food and bad mm -hmm. food. They don't exercise. I mean, so we're not really getting smarter. What we've done is got sucked into a, a for-profit education system that really isn't teaching people anything that really is, well, minimal things that are valuable. And when I used to work in a large physical therapy clinic and, and uh, we were an internship site for um, a, 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 an actual university program. So the physical therapists have to do three residencies, an orthopedic residency, a neurological residency, and a burn residency, or also geriatric, but they, they have their choice on, of, they have to do three residencies. And we were a residency site. And a lot of these, and, and, and because my approach was so unique, the owner of the clinic made it um, part of their education because they would each spend three months with us, but they would have to spend a couple of weeks shadowing me. And over and over and over again, they said, you are doing things that we've never heard of or even seen in our entire four years of physical therapy training. And I remember one time, one of my physical therapy friends who later became my partner in my physical therapy clinic, Steve Clark, he turned and looked at the guy who was shadowing me. And he said, that's because when we were in physical therapy school, learning how to calculate how much water was displaced when you stuck your hand in a bucket, Paul was studying what really mattered. <laughs> and so there you have it. I mean, wow. You know, and so there and back to the kids, the kids are emulating the same thing. And it's yeah. just you don't need to be a genius to see that our educational system not only doesn't work, it's way behind. It's just if you study like I do and keep your mind uh, on advances in science and physics and quantum physics and astrophysics, what's actually on the forefront shows clearly that almost everything we're teaching our kids about these basic sciences is wrong. I mean, except for, of course, basic mathematics. But when it comes to physics and how the world works and what the mind is and how to think and how to solve problems, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, we're, we're, we have an education system that's about making money and, and the students are really just uh, opportunities from our money. They're, uh, and I can say this with assurance. My grandmother was the uh, superintendent of the Redondo Beach School District for over 30 years. My grandfather taught special education in Los Angeles uh, high schools to the deaf, dumb and blind. And of course, was also a school teacher. But my grandfather told me that when he had re the, the year he retired, kids were graduating from school with a 12th grade education, which was actually exactly the eighth grade education that they were teaching about 20 years earlier. And he said they had to keep lowering the scholastic standards because so many kids were failing high school that they ended up with huge problems with violence and, and, and tons of young girls getting pregnant because they had 18, 19 and 20 year olds that are coming through their third, fourth round of trying to get out of high school. And so, 
they, they were, you know, having huge influxes of drugs and violence. They had to start putting a police force in the school because so many kids were carrying knives and guns because these kids should have been in their third and fourth, third years of university, but they couldn't pass their high school exam. Wow. So they had to keep lowering the standards. So the, the fact of the matter is most kids today are actually only getting about an eighth grade education com- compared to what, you know, the rest of us would have been getting in school like when I was in right. school. Well, you mentioned quantum physics and you mentioned uh, science and stuff like that. The last question I had for you, and maybe we can keep this a Zen answer, but I promised I would ask, I would ask this. And this was something I wanted to know mm-hmm. myself. But I've heard you mention before. <clears throat> how you were never actually given the option as a child to pick your religion. You know, do you want to go to a Buddhist church? Do you want to go to a Methodist? Do you want to go to, you know, this and that. And I always remembered that. And I felt like, you know what? Well, I, I, you know, I know this is a big talk topic and we could probably do a whole part two on this because when I was with you, we spent three days on this topic, but well, yeah, it's the root of all it's ri- listen, what you're talking about is the root of a person's belief system. Right. And whenever people are having problems with their bodies, with their life, with relationships, it all boils down to behaviors of the products of beliefs. And the chief source of belief is programming beliefs is religious ideology. Right. So I wanted so to know that's that's where we're that's where we get into trouble. Yeah, so I wanted to know what are you teaching mana about god when do you start teaching your children about god do you entertain the idea of of the you know heaven is above and hell is below and and the clouds and the fire and things like that as a metaphor or just as a visualization you know or as a story such as the bible did with you know uh, noah and the ark or something like that to you know of course build the ark before the rain and uh, adam and eve with you know, as a moral story, do you entertain that at a younger age so that the child can have something to relate to because it's a story and it's a way for them to remember that? Or do you, do you start teaching them about capital G O D? Do you start teaching, you know, and, and when do you do that? I, I was just, I, well, Mon is only three. Yeah, I know so that. the closest I've come to that is, is teaching him to pray for his food and, letting him know that everything he's eating had a life of its own and it's died for him. Uh, it's died so he can live. And, and I teach him that, you know, we, we always want to say thank you because mother nature provided us the, you know, the, the, the broccoli you're eating, it was enjoying itself in the sunshine just yesterday. And now it doesn't have a life anymore because it's, it's becoming you. So, we want to give thanks to mother earth and we want to give thanks to the spirit of the broccoli. And we want to give thanks to the spirit of the chicken. So I'm really just starting there and showing him that, that everything is sacrificing something so that something else can live. And if we don't honor that, then we lose connection with the importance of life and what supports us. And we fall into the trap of just thinking that the world is just some kind of a supermarket where we can go and get anything and it'll never be empty. But we're in a very, very dangerous place right now because the 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 uh, the real supermarket called nature is being poisoned and destroyed, and there's and we're getting to a very dangerous tipping point. So my first work with Mana is just to connect him to how the Earth works okay. and to let him know 
plants are living things. And I show them, look, the flower opens and watch when the sun's in the afternoon, the flower has turned and faced itself that way. But in the morning, it's facing this way. That is a thing that is alive, just like you. So if you pull the leaves off or you hit it with a stick, it's like someone pulling your arm off or hitting you with a stick. And just like an animal, he, you know, Mana's got a dog. He's, 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 Angie has a pug and sometimes he gets a little rowdy. And I say, you know, look, you could hurt that dog. How would you like it if daddy just tackled you like you tackled the dog? It would really hurt you. So really what, what I'm trying to do and what I think is important is first and foremost, before there's any idea of God, because that gets to be, you know, very tricky. And since nobody can prove what God is, because the only way you can really know what God is, is to become God. And then you wouldn't know anything because if you know everything and you are everything, there's no subject object relationship. So there's no I thou, there's no I it. If you become one with God, then there is no thinking. If you knew everything in the world, what would you need to think right. about? Yeah. You know, so so the reality of is God is a mystery at all levels. And even if you enter that state, there's nothing you can say about it, which is why in Taoism, they say there's two Tao's. There's the Tao that can be spoken and you're it and you're surrounded by it. And there's the Tao that cannot be spoken. And that's why Lao Tzu said anybody that's talking about the Tao doesn't know what they're talking about because there's nothing to say. Um, so for me. Uh, you know, when it comes to, to be the time to have that discussion, I just explain that these are all different stories that explain how people have lived their life and what happens. The Bible is a collection of stories about what happens if you live a certain way or have certain beliefs. And so is the Torah and so is the Quran and so are the Buddhist sutras. And inside of all of them are great truths. But if you really want to understand how life works, you have to understand how people work and people have different views and different value systems and different opinions. But the interesting thing is if you study them all, you find out that at the core of all the religions are the same concerns. And those are moral concerns. And a moral is a code of conduct that is life affirmative. So we all need food. We all need water. And we all need to be careful not to kill each other because if you start killing people, they want to kill you. And we all have to, you know, look, when we listen to music, we love music from all over the world. And you don't see the color of the musician. And you can be listening to music thinking it's absolutely mind boggling and be a member of the KKK. And all of a sudden, one day you turn on your television and see the guy playing the music and he's a black guy. And now you throw your CDs out the window. Well, that's just the kind of ridiculous kind of silliness that we just cannot afford to have children getting sucked into. And so for me, it's it, it, if you understand what God is, then you have to understand that it's all God. And therefore, to really get the big picture, we have to look at all of it and say, OK, what's the beauty here? And can we make room for everybody to you know, the old saying, live and let live, let's make room for each other. And if we, if we honor each other and we don't try to control each other, you don't have this sort of Christian ideology. If you don't take Jesus as your savior, then there's something wrong with you or, or we got to get rid of you or you're going to burn in hell and realize there's a hell of a lot of people in the world that have never heard the name Jesus Christ. So can we really honestly say, 
that someone's damned to hell because they've never even heard of something. It doesn't make any sense right. at all. And that's what happened when kids get brainwashed. And, and, and for me, it's very, very important that my son realizes that there's beauty in all of it and there's lessons in all of it and that these stories are allegories. They're teaching stories. They're not factual. Um, and, and, and so just like video games are not factual and the stories in movies are allegorical, they're talking about experiences of life, but behind that is that we all need to honor, respect, love, appreciate, make room for each other and find each other interesting, right? If we find each other interesting, I mean, what's interesting about the Bible? What's interesting about the, the Buddhist sutras? What's interesting about Taoism? What's interesting about Shinto? You know, when we start realizing that each time we look into these different cultures and the way they live, we learn something and we learn some amazing things. And then we grow up to be wise people that make intelligent decisions, such as it's better to actually talk to people and try to understand than drop bombs on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, just a minor detail like yeah. that. <laughs> There's actually a good book called uh, Nonviolent Communication that's actually yeah. – By Marshall yeah, Rosenberg. My mother's a she's – a, she's, a, she's been a teacher for them for 20 years. So is her husband. Oh, really? Okay. Years. I and she teaches at Czech Level 4 classes. I got the audio on Audible, and it's narrated by him as well. And I thought that was really good. Yeah. I mean, just his infliction and stuff like that. It's, it's amazing. So, all right. Yeah. Oh, I, lo I love that. There's a magical, there's a magical book that, that I find to be the best one because I use it regularly. Because nonviolent communication is such a radical software upgrade for a human being. It can be very, very hard to apply. Um, especially with your family, because if you start doing it with your family, they think you're trying to manipulate them because they know who you really are. Um, but they, the uh, book that I'm talking is a beautiful little pocket book. It's like, you know, quarter page size. It'll fit right in your pocket. It's called Nonviolent Communication, The Basics as I Know and Use Them by Waylon Myers, Ph.D., and it gives you the key principles and practices that anybody can use. It's gorgeous. And there's no sense going beyond that book till you get what that what what that book has to say right, or or you'll just have a bunch of ideas in your head that you never practice, which is the problem with our whole education system, right. anyhow. Okay, well that's that's a good resource then. So for anybody listening, yeah, write that book down, go check it out. Also for everything yeah. that we've been talking about too, that that Paul's mentioned throughout this whole thing, how to eat, move, and be healthy. How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy by Paul Check is a number one must-have to uh, have on your bookshelf. It is the Bible, as it's uh, been referred to in the past, the health, the health Bible. So, mm. Paul. And, and interestingly, yeah. um, the comment on the back, in the future, this will seen as the, the, the nutrition Bible is written by a very famous medical doctor who works for many professional sports teams, was the medical doctor for the U.S. Powerlifting Association. And, and uh, it was through my teachings that he learned about organic food and farming and ended up buying his own organic farm and raising his kids that way too. Oh, and, wow. and so, uh, you know, what's, as you know, what's in the book is the things you got to know or you will be a statistic. Absolutely. It's foundation at the yeah. least. Um, 
Yeah. Well, Paul, I know we're, we're nowhere at the end of our time, but before I let you go, as with every guest, um, we end with 10 questions inspired by James Lipton and Bernard yeah. Pouveau. So um, you ready? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your hero? I am. Um... What excites you? Uh, love. What turns you off? Um, disrespect for nature. What is your favorite sound? I love the sound of water running. What is your least favorite sound? Manhattan. <laughs> What is your favorite quote or saying? It's the first principle of Sufism, the mystical branch of Islam. It says there is no God but God. I worship everything and everyone. I like that. <clears throat> In a couple words, what should a dad be? A guardian, a, a best friend, and a great teacher. And in a couple words, what should a dad not be? Jealous, envious, inconsiderate, short-tempered, and in too much of a hurry to be a dad. Okay. If you could try any other profession, what would it be? Well, to be honest with you, I'd be a medical doctor so that I could at least encourage people to, to, to do it right. Not that I have anything against medical doctors in general, but it's very clear that our medicine, medical systems about, but useless unless you're getting orthopedic surgery because you got hit by a car or fell off a roof. We're good at that, but the rest of it is just a disease for money. So I would, just take exactly what I do now and go to medical school. That way I could at least, you know, inspire people to say, Hey, look, I've got an MD. You might want to pay attention because I'm wearing a white jacket since you're so into white right. jackets. <laughs> and finally, what would you like to be remembered for? Um, that I did my best to leave the world a little better than I found it when I got here. Beautiful. Paul, it has been such, such an honor to talk with you. I'm sorry we went a little over time, but I, I, oh, think, right. I, I think the answers you gave were amazing, eye-opening, inspiring, um, to say the least. So, uh, again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it, and I really appreciate you. Yeah, no problem. And the reason I said I'm my hero is because if you don't love yourself enough to really step into yourself and – care for yourself and make something beautiful out of yourself then you've got the wrong hero you know we we need to be we all need to be our own hero and start the day by looking at ourselves in the mirror and saying i love you you're my best friend and we're going to have a great day together and we're going to work through our challenges together because at the end of the day you come into the world by yourself you don't know how you got here and you leave by yourself there might be all sorts of people surrounding you but you die alone so we need to learn to be our own hero and love ourselves and care for ourselves and give ourselves empathy and compassion because if you have to wait for someone else to do it it might get tough right on i love that oh great way to end it
Paul, have a great night. You too. Thank you very much. It was good, fun. Glad. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. If you like this podcast and want to support it, please subscribe, leave comments, and share it with someone you think would benefit from listening as well. Thanks again, and keep on being a Warrior Dad.